This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. Hi there, hope you're well. Thanks for joining me for this chat with Ginger Wildheart from the Wildhearts. The catalyst for the conversation is the release of the new album for 2021 from the lads titled 21st Century Love Songs. Now, in addition to gaining some insight about the album, we do a deep dive on many aspects of Ginger's career. There's some fascinating stuff if you're a fan of the man, but if you just love listening to a fella who's not just survived, but thrived in the world of hard rock, heavy metal and rock and roll, you will not get better testimony than what you're about to hear from Ginger. So here he is, Ginger Wildheart from the Wildhearts. Andrew! Sorry, mate, the last interview just went on a bit longer than I thought. You're a popular man, Ginger, I've got to tell you, when when the opportunity came through to have a chat to you, I jumped at it, and I imagine that's the same for a lot of people, mate. Uh, Popular enough. Uh, Any more popular, and it would be a pain in the arse, so uh, it works. How how do you find doing this? Do you, do you enjoy doing this sort of thing? Is it appealing? It's what you do. It's just part of the job. I've always done it. I've always done being the one that does all the interviews, and it's um, mm. I've got to do it. You know, I, I, it's not something I, I love doing, but it's definitely not something that I dislike in any way. It's just part of the gig, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a good way of putting it. I, I spoke to Jeff Walker from Carcass a few nights ago, and. Uh, he, uh, what did you say to me? I said, Jeff, I've been a massive Carcass fan for a long time. I'm, th- I'm 43, so of course it's my uh, my team, one of my teenage fans. But I said to him, I've been looking forward to talking to you for 30 years, Jeff. And he uh, said to me, I look forward to disappointing you then. And I've got to say, to, to an extent, he did a little because he just wasn't into it. I got him at the oh. end of the, the phone cycle and he, he just was not into it at all. But I said I understood. Like, it's no dramas. I mean, he doesn't know me from a bar of soap, of course, you know. So what I said about Jeff is also true for you too. You know that. Um, ever since I heard the song Christine, oh, your song Devin. that you wrote with Devin. Yeah, and, so I, and I, I, I didn't actually write it with him. He just credited me because I was hanging out at his studio, I think. I don't know why he credited me. I think maybe he was inspired by something that I had wrote, but I never wrote a, a, a note in that song. I was in the Is video right? as well. Yeah, yeah, but he just he's a, he's a generous fella, that guy, to a, to a point. Yeah, I've spoken to him twice. So I met him back in 1999 when he used to let his long hair and no receding hairline, and he was a good guy back then. And I spoke to him recently, and he was he was different. You know, he's more subdued these days than what he was sort of 25, 30 years ago, as you probably know. But um, but that's generous of him. But yeah, you must have inspired it in some way, though. I mean, otherwise he wouldn't have put you on there as a, as a songwriter. Yeah, well, Devin Devin works in his own mysterious ways. As we all we've all got little foibles. Um, and uh, uh, he's just—he's one of those guys that he would literally give you the shirt off his back. So he's, nice, a, he's, yeah. a, he's a good guy. I'm glad he's still with us. I'm glad he's still making crazy, brilliant records. Um, and long may, long may he reign. That's the same for you, though. Too, I've got to say, um, I've always considered you just a bit like you got a mode head picture of the poster behind you there. I mean, you're in the same basket as these greats as far as I'm concerned because what you've been doing has been meaningful for so long to people like myself I know I don't look like an outsider but I'm a rock and metal fan that makes us outsiders to begin with you know what I'm saying I still participate in society but someone like yourself I think has been an icon for us for so long now and and I think that the journey that you've been on has been it's certainly been interesting to watch from afar 
but now you're here because you've got this album, 21st Century Love Songs. And uh, look, I, I think if I could sum up how I viewed you and feel free to disagree at any point, of course, I've always felt like you get what made the Sex Pistols punk rock and Motorhead rock and roll. And I think this album is has been crafted by someone that truly understands that, hence that's why it's one of your albums. Because at times it's heavy, but then there's a huge dose of melody that smacks you in the face. And it's very, very urgent as well. You haven't wasted any riffs on this one here. They're all well thought out. So after I've said all that, do you agree with some of the points that I've made there? And, and the second part of my question would be, is this an important album for you? Don't know about important. That'll be seen seem to be uh, to uh, be evident when it comes out. It, it, uh, who knows? Who knows? Um, as far as the Pistols and Motorhead, I mean, they 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 were the biggest cultural shifts, apart from you know when I first got into music, which was Sweet and Slade. Um, then there was Ramones, and then there was Pistols, then there was Motorhead, and that kind of five years of music, six years of music, is still what informs me now. Um, mm. they, they were these, these bands were so different from each other, but carrying on exactly the same tradition, exactly, exactly the same spirit, that kind of pirate spirit, you know, couldn't give a fuck spirit, uh, which now people regard as a punk spirit, but pre-punk, it was still there. Mm. And I, I, their, their records have changed, well, changed my life, changed my fortunes, you know, showed me like that's the road you're going to be going down you know your friends are going to have jobs and you're going to end up trying to be lemmy <laughs> which um i'm delighted to say that people include the wild arts and motorhead in the same conversation because i do consider that we're we're still carrying that 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 torch mm. you know i mean lemmy was my spirit animal and um you know now there's no motorhead there's no there's no slayer there's no remorse there's no status quo mm -hmm. Kind of no status quo. Um, these these are bands that were all um, important because of the fan base, because of the the, the, the supporters. They um, inspired almost like community spirit of people that believe that we're all in this together. There wasn't like the Kiss thing where there was the big rock stars and the and the minions that uh, buy the fridges or whatever. Um, it was all it was together. It was about the music. It was about the spirit, and I, and that. That was what inspired me. So to be to be able to go on many many years later and and inspire that kind of um, that kind of attention is exactly what I hoped would happen. Never thought in a million years I would, but then I never thought in a million years we'd all still be alive at at this point in time. So yeah, um, yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a weird one that we're still around doing this, but we definitely haven't run out of any anger. We haven't run out of steam. Um, and we certainly haven't got, you know, we don't want to get on stage and sit down yet. Blame me for Not doing yet. that because, look, it's you know, I've had three listens to the album, so that's all the way through. I think it's important to do that, especially given we've got a conversation. I had a conversation coming up, but... From my perspective so far, now I've only listened to it three times as I say, but it's hard to go past the title track, uh, which I think could become a signature tune for the band. But I also enjoyed the rockabilly tinge to Sleep Away as well. I love the way that you guys did that. So, you know, like, I mean, the point that I want to make is that, uh, is that none of the, um, is there nine songs on the album, I think? I think I've recorded here nine, so yeah. I hope there's nine. Yeah. There's okay. usually ten. I, 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 it's an OCD thing of mine. I like to have ten songs on a record. Yeah, 
<laughs> well, the point is none of them sound tired or rehashed. It's it's a blistering album. So, you know, you are a rock and roll original, but what keeps you producing original music that doesn't sound tired, though? That's the key point. I'm still an angry, angry fella with loads of things to be angry about. It's um, the most... Uh, um, divisive, um, confused and um, and unconnected point in history, I think. You know, the human race mm. is, you know, it's, it's, it's going against evolution. It's going against civilization. We're, 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 we're doing that thing that we always do where we compartmentalize things so we've got things to, to, to hate and things to distrust. So all the curiosity we are as, as kids is just turned into... Um, suspicion now um and that's the kind of the way that we vote it's the way we conduct ourselves socially it's the way we you know we we look at things like a like a, and i'm just generalizing we but the human race looks at things as a as an us and them black and white mm. kind of thing which, which is very very seldom the case um so yeah things are are worse because they haven't got better we're devolving because we haven't evolved into anything remotely spiritual or you know, or, or, or humility, you know, based, uh, and we are we 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 still have that thing where we seem to just dislike each other. We're the only species in the animal kingdom that actively just dislikes other animals because of well, dislikes our own lot um, to to the to the um, the detriment of the species. Obviously, we're weakening the species by you know by trying to do that thing that Hitler did, where we. You know, get rid of uh, brown people, get rid of gay people, get rid of uh, non-binary. It's, uh, there's, there's so much confusion and negativity going around. I'm not sure how anyone can write anything but angry songs. I, I don't have any happy things to write about. You know, maybe now and again I'll, I'll, I'll write a song about my dog and that'll be happy because she's great. But I look at the human race and the way that the world is at the moment and I'm like, we're fucked. We're, in, we're, we're an ugly species. That seems to thrive on on how disgust how disgusting we are. Um, you know, get the guitar out. It's tons to write. <laughs> you know, what I mean? it's uh, it's it's. There's loads of loads of gold in them there hills. So that it's that sounds like what's informed the lyrical content this time around. It's, the lyrical content in most of our albums and most of my music is based on how I just behavioural patterns in the human race confounds me and confuses me and you know it, it frustrates enrages angers me um it's it's often you just you just feel like banging your head against the wall going there's no way of moving forward in this species we've just got to accept that you know a lot of people are fucked and uh you know that's unfortunately I, my outlet is to write songs so they do tend to arrive you know when when i've got a, a a country like ours, which is renowned for making mistakes, and then we go and vote these idiots in that are, are going to exploit us like they always do. And then you're looking at the states for a little bit of guidance, and they've got Trump. And you're like, there's no happy songs in this. There's just a bunch of pissed off riffy songs. That's all I'm getting. You know, that's what that's that's what my guitar, how my guitar digests all of this nonsense by mm. just big slabby riffs and then anthemic choruses give us something to to cheer about. Mm. Just on the United States, um, I was always curious as to why you guys didn't have more success over there. I know, I know you've been a successful band, but I think you know what I'm saying. 
um, you were critically successful. But do, what, what do you think it was? There was a glass ceiling there for you guys over there. No, it was, it was a number of different things. We had a, we had a label over there called East West who mm-hmm. didn't want to put the first album out because it was too punk. And, and I said, but what if punk is the next big thing in America? And this label head, a guy called Derek Oliver, had said, you know, Ginger, punk will never be a big thing in America. And that was about, you know, six months before Maverick and Green Day and Offspring and Rancid and, and punk went bigger than it did the first time around. Um, then we had a manager who didn't want to get, we had a bunch of managers want to take us over in the States, which is exactly what we need. Uh, and he was had his own interests at heart. He didn't have our interests at heart. So he wanted to form a management company so he wouldn't lose any percentage, um, which obviously didn't work because he was a little English manager talking to these big American managers. So like, well, why would we cut you in? We're going to be doing the work. So we didn't, we couldn't get representation in the States. We couldn't get the album out in the States. Mm. And, you know, you got no profile and you got no, no radio um, profile. Then uh, you ain't getting on any tours over there. And that was the kind of, you know, it's, I, 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 I don't want it to sound like moaning because my, a lot of my favorite bands um, were technically underachievers compared to their peers. Mm. Like, I, I always say Fishbone didn't get popular and Red Hot Chili Peppers did. Awesome. Now, yeah. anyone who's heard both of those bands who understands music knows that Fishbone, by far the superior group. 150% on that point. I just You're the first person I've spoken to that said that. And look, I'm a muso and I play covers and I play, it, I play bass. I've played so many of uh, Flea's songs and Chili Peppers songs. But as a young fella, I was a massive Fishbone fan. I got, got right into them, you know, Give a Monkey a Brain and the albums before that. And I could never understand. Even remember 24-7 Spies, mm, these sorts yeah, of bands. Massive fan of those bands. But it seemed like I was just myself and it never really caught on. There's, I don't know. Look, I've spoken to Vernon Reid about this and I think there's a racial aspect to it that the media wouldn't support black so-called rock and metal bands. And I think that's when the Chili Peppers came along. And there are these four. I know that, you know. Well, you could say that. I mean, obviously, there is a race problem in America, without a doubt. Um, You could say there's a sexism problem, which is why a lot of female artists haven't uh, done as well as their male counterparts. I'm a big fan of a lot of female artists, but the biggest one probably being, um, uh, well, the most important one being Maria McKee, who was in a band called Lone Justice. And she just never got the breaks, whether it be like, you know, little pop figures coming through. Same with a girl called um, Amani Coppola, who was just more talented than anything that was coming out. But again, a female and a female of colour. Um, so, but then again, those bands like Jason and the Scorchers, where the amount of groups that did well, I won't just name names and, and badmouth people, but small, you know, tiny, insignificant bands compared to Jason and the Scorchers, who were amazing, and they just couldn't get a break. There's a lot of bands like that in the states that just didn't didn't get that break that another band did. Um, so you, you you can't just use the race card. You can't just use the uh, the the sex the gender card because um, there's a lot of you know white boys who didn't do well in the states um, mm. when a bunch of inferior white boys did. So it's I think it's basically if you don't play the game, if you don't toe the line, um, if you have any kind of uh, you know, integrity, then I think you find it hard to fit in this business and, if, and, and they find it hard to promote you. 
And that's why there's tons and tons of bands that all sound the same. As soon as something kicks in, they just find a load of bands that will change their clothes and will change their sound to try and fit into some kind of like, well, maybe if we run fast enough, we'll catch that bus. It's gone. You know, it's, uh, you know, they, I think the, the way that the industry um, meddles with things as, as also, you know, massively to blame, not, not just, um, you know, the public. I think the public are, are given a bunch of stuff to buy, a lot of stuff they don't even get to hear. You know, let's mm-hmm. face it, you know, when the, when the Metallica Black album came out, everyone thought that was their first album. They didn't, they weren't even aware there was a band <laughs> called Metallica who, who were like rock yeah. or metal royalty at the time. Mm. So then yeah, the, Mar- public, that's what the public's allowed to, to want. You mentioned Maria McKee. Again, you've, you said a few firsts on this conversation here, but yeah, I liked her back in the day too. And she was signed to Geffen though. I think, you know, she she was actually on a serious label who should have been able to push it, but it just didn't happen. But to your point, there were there were tons of bands like that. But there, there was another interesting episode of your career, which happened in 1997, when Michael Gudinski signed you for Endless Nameless and Mushroom Records. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Remember well, that? That was, a, yeah. that was a, a, not really, because that was, a, that was the kind of dark ages. You know, that was, it was... <laughs> It was a very messy time. We were all um, we were all addicted to various different things, um, and mm. it was we 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 just worked as hard against the wind as we possibly could for about almost ten years, and then at the end we were just like, oh, just let's just get high and make noisy records, and we didn't really think or consider the um, the industry at all. Um, and it was it was at the time where Foo Fighters were kind of I remember Monkey Wrench came out and and people were going oh you should you should write music like Monkey Wrench and I'm just like I'm out of here I'm I'm out of here you know I've got nothing nothing to offer yeah not nothing's anything wrong with Foo Fighters but we've had people saying we we should sound a bit more like Andrew WK and I'd be like are you fucking high what the hell's wrong with you you sound like we sound at the end. I don't think I don't think people are aware of of just your history and your legacy though. So for example, here's a big one. You effectively had the last word in Mick Ronson's incredible career. And I think I'm right in saying this, but my baby is a head fuck was the last time he recorded anything. So I don't I don't think people understand that you had that reach into these people that are considered icons and legends of the of, of our, what we love, rock and and rock and punk and metal but were you were you mates with Mick is that how that collaboration came about sorry this um, will come back on yeah it wasn't the last thing that he recorded but it was the last record he recorded that got released he was making a record when he died um, with mm. the engineer that, that worked on our album um, when it came up to do the first album and you remember there was you know we were an absolute unknown commodity um, so there wasn't like tons and tons of producers available. Um, so it was a bunch of people that were kind of hot at the time. And then there was Mick Ronson. And of course, being a David Bowie fan, I was like, Mick Ronson, of course, we'll have him. Um, and then he got ill. And I think the, the label kind of didn't want to use him in case he was too ill to finish it off. Uh, but in the meantime, I'd, I'd already written a, like a song called My Baby is a Headfuck where i written a solo in there for him. And I said, well, will you come down to the studio and play this solo? Otherwise, we're not going to bother recording it. Um, 
and he was he was so gracious. He, he he accepted, and we had him in the studio. We had Stevie Lang, um, who's one of the most amazing voices in the world, and she'd never met Mick Ronson. So there was this lovely kind of loved up, because everyone that met Mick Ronson loved him. Um, and it was such a good thing for us to do, to, to be working with real legends who really are amazing. We met a lot of people who consider themselves to be legends who aren't very good, but we started off with some of the best people we've ever worked with. Um, and it was all testament to the fact that, you know, Mick Ronson was such a humble fella. He was like, yeah, I'll come down and play the guitar. You know, don't want paying, don't want anything. Put the kettle on, make me a cup of tea. And it nice. was that... You know, is that that it was that being brought up around bands like punk bands and Motorhead and having that kind of that rock star ego thing battered down from the start? We're all in this Mm. together, and then working with humble people who were influential heroes of mine. It was a great start for a band like us because we, you know, we realized that this is the way you do it You, 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 you stay humble, you stay thankful, and and you know, always. Be grateful for for what you've got, and if you do make fans, if you are lucky enough to to get some supporters, treat them well. You know, those people are gold. I know, you know, we we had that enforced. We didn't pick it up. We had that enforced by people like Mick Ronson. Yeah, yeah, you got the right start. But look, somebody else that you worked with, uh, and I, I tried to find something on it, but I didn't really didn't really come across anything. But I know you did some work with Nikki Six. Uh, uh, Nikki Six. Um, <laughs> I, I've never worked with Nikki Six. I, I joined um, Brides of Destruction when Scott Sorry took over from Nikki. Oh, right. Uh, okay. Yep. I, 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 you know, I'm obviously aware of who who he is, and he's aware of who I am. I mean, I, I, I still think that first Motley Crue album is great because it just it's so. I like the yeah, first the, the the Leather Records one that just sounds like a it's just a punk album. You know, it's got it's, it's got its own yeah. unique sound. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it's, you know, it doesn't sound like anyone. I love that record. And then the second album came out and I'm like, oh, it's, I, I don't like this. And then they kind of, you know, went down that kind of more traditional, generic heavy metal route. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that's not really for me. But I, I like the first one because it reminded me of of punk bands, but also had, it's a sweet in there and, you know. It was like the first Ramones album, actually. It was a lot like that in as much as like, whoa, what, what is this? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, uh, me and me and Nikki kind of what were pen pals, kind of round about the time where the internet first started kicking in. So, you know, we were able to keep in, in contact via email and stuff. But mm. apart from a Japanese tour that we did where we got to see each other for, uh, you know, quite a lot, and I got to get on stage with them and stuff. Um, we did, we haven't had a lot of contact, so you know we. I, don't know, I think we're we're fond of each other, but we don't know each other that well. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, it was interesting. Well, or did you fight? Was it enjoyable? I should say in two thousand and nine when you did the camp for anything. It was interesting because it was all first class. It was all private planes and and you know. Massive hotels and um, you know hanging out backstage with famous people. It was a, it was a great um, it was a great you know experiment, but it, you know I couldn't say it was something that I, I I thought oh this is this is me I've arrived now this this changes everything. 
I've never really wanted, I've never minded not traveling first class. I never minded not hanging out with famous people. Um, so it's fun. It's fun to do, but it as you know, as a as a little treat. It's mm, not me. Yeah. How did how did you get in, involved in that? Was it an invitation that was extended to you by the organizers, or did someone like Corey, Corey Taylor from Slipknot say, Hey, Ginger's got to be a part of this? I don't know. The, the, with things of the wild arts, we have fans, not fans, supporters in every walk of life, whether it's people in bands, people behind the scenes, and, and Camp Freddy, the manager, um, was aware who I was, and, and, and Billy Morrison, who put the thing together um, with Dave Navarro, he was aware of, uh, he liked my band and stuff. But we're the sort of group that we have people, We I once put it on Twitter, who's got the best, the most interesting job? Um, and it turned out there was, um, there was two brain surgeons, which I thought was fantastic, two brain <laughs> surgeons, uh, and there was one guy who um, remote control steers the the ship that the, the the thing that walks around the moon that drives around oh, the moon. Shit. Yeah, well, wow. so yeah. I'm like, well, you know, you could you could land anywhere and find a wild arts fan somewhere. And the and the joke is, what well, the joke is, the, uh, the, the 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 theory goes, if you are in a strange town and you walk into a bar with a wild arts T-shirt on, someone's going to come up and talk to you. <laughs> and you know, so far so good. It seems to be, you know, everyone who says, oh, I'm, "I'm going to Japan. What should I do?" So just wear a wild ass t-shirt in a bar, and you'll make friends. Mm. And it absolutely hundred percent true. Even works in in the states where we're not really that well known, but we're known because the mm. people that like us are, are are rabid fans. And I get that because I'm a mad fan of stuff that I like. I don't. I, I'm not just like kind of. I don't go warm on things. I'm either insanely addicted or passionate or it's just mm. not my not my I don't have an opinion. I think well, all, all people are a bit like like me, which is which is nice to to know. They're gonna yeah. stay with us. We've got a career for life. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Supporters who will be there through thick and thin for you. And um look Steve, I've always felt like Steve Jones and yourself should have done something together. So do you know Steve, and have you even thought about trying to collaborate in some way? Yeah, Steve, I, 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 I know Steve in as much as when I go to Los Angeles, we, you know, we we go hiking. Wow, uh, okay. Jimmy Ashers takes me hike hiking with him, and uh, you know, he talks to me like he knows who who I am and who the you know knows what I do and has, has heard the music. But as far as collaborating with people, I don't think any. No one really wants to do that, you know. I I, well, I used to be curious. There used to be a lot of people I, I just admired so much. I wanted to work with, like Steve Earle or Maria McKay mm-hmm. or Cheap Trick or whatever. Now, now that I get a bit a bit older and I've kind of carved out my own kind of thing, I, I the, the the I'm not interested in working with anyone else. No, no reason, no disrespect or anything, because I'm just not really interested in. In uh, in the whole process involving someone else, I guess it's just convenient. I got, I, you know, I write songs, and if they're heavy and pissed off, they're wild arts in the wild arts box, and if they're kind of well constructed, almost classic, um, they go in this ginger and the sinners box, and then if they're just weird, they go in the solo box to use later. Mm. Um, I, 
that seems to work for me. The idea of getting together with someone and 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 saying, okay, then what we're going to write about? Well, what do you like? Well, I don't know. What do you like? It just seems like 10 times the, the effort for half the half the satisfaction. Yeah, I get you, it's great. It's just a process of compromise writing with someone else. It's great that you're mates with him, though, because you, you seem like kindred souls. Um, well, Steve Jones. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, well, we've both, you know, been... Yeah, you're, you're originals. Like you're originals, you know. No, there's nobody like you two. Well, thank you very much. It's very, very nice to hear. I'm, obviously, yeah, I'm a huge Steve Jones fan. I mean, that was, you know, that was almost my, my gateway drug was that album, you know. Mm. Um, a lot of, lot of what we do... You know, he's from that age where people had styles. You know, they weren't all trying to be punk. They, they had their own styles. And, and it was, you, you know, you've got, therefore, the the Johnny Ramone sound, which is different than the Steve Jones sound, which is different than the Brian James sound. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it was at that time where people carved out their own identity and it still kind of exists. So if anyone's saying that I, I've, I've done a similar thing, then great. I, I don't know any, many people that sound like me, um, which is mm. nice, I think. <laughs> hey, I think I've got three minutes left. Is that right? Before you've got to go to well, the next one? Or? I've asked him if he'll extend. Yes, he's been moved to 12, so we're good. Okay, sweet. You know, you, you've been with CJ, the band's longtime guitarist now. I know it's, you've had some breaks there, but by and large, you've been together for 35 years, is it? thereabouts and then it's you're practically brothers at this point from from the perspective that you've been in tour vans and buses and planes and you know each other's secrets and all the rest of it so what is it that's kept you guys in forces throughout the band's rich history do you think hmm. that is weird isn't it we've known each other for longer than we didn't know each other yeah that's weird isn't it that yeah. is so weird i've never even thought about that i've known him for longer than i hadn't known him it's mad. Um, I think what keeps us both going is that we both were very open and honest about the music that we like. Um, and we've got a very similar style because I play with a lot of different, I have played with a lot of different people. I, I realise as soon as me and CG get together, how easy it is. It's almost like we just, mm. it just fits. And the vocal thing's weird because we just, you know, over the years, our voices have changed slightly um, as they do, but they still sound great together. It's that thing that, again, like status quo that I grew up with, it was almost like it was a familiar thing, not just a sound. It was like the smell of grass or the feel of fur, you know? I mean, on, on a live animal, not on a bloody coat or anything. But, um, <laughs> you know, just one of those comfort things where we, we do our thing and it works. And also because he's not lazy. I think if he was lazy, we wouldn't, still egg each other on but you know as we are advancing in our, our years um, we're still staying fit we're still staying healthy we're still pushing the other one on stage we're still you know mm. it, we're not we're not getting old we're not we're not calming down and we're certainly not getting s slower or lazy and I think with a, if, if one of us did just give up and just put loads of weight on the other one probably would as well and that would kind of be it but I think we keep each other Trim, so it's a. It's I think a, it's the a same for. It's, I think it's almost the same for your drummer too, Rich, isn't it? I mean, I know he's been out of the band longer, but he's certainly been there for the same length of time in terms of tenure. Yeah, yeah. Well, Rich, 
you know, we've had a, we've had a few drummers in the band, but Rich, I've always maintained, is is our drummer. He's the sound of the group. When I write songs, I hear him playing drums, um, and we work so well together. In as much as even if I'm writing a song, I'm showing him a song, and it's got tons of bits. He he naturally gravitates to how to play the bits. Um, and even songs that are, are deceptively awkward to play, like, uh, for example, when we played Bloodstock, um, I was saying that we had a stand-in drummer. And a lot of the te- tempo changes in the songs, he was he struggled with. And it, it made me realise how easy it is to work with Rich, who kind of understands what I'm what I'm doing, what I'm going for. Yeah. Um, so it's it's effortless with Rich. It really is. is and um, And he's still into it. And if he wasn't into it, if he was just like, oh, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm done now. I think I'm just going to retire and get old. Then, uh, then, then that would be the band over. Um, and mm. I, you know, he, he's, he's the, um, the, the heart of the group. You know, he's the, the, okay. the, the passion of the group. If he wasn't doing it, I don't think we'd have a group. Mm. And then there's yeah, Danny. Yeah, Danny's the fucking. A mystery. He's always he's always been an, an enigma. That fella. <laughs> yeah, it uh, doesn't make sense on any level. But he's still. It doesn't make sense. He's still alive. You know, <laughs> lost half his legs, most of his teeth, and he's still here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good point. I don't. I don't use this word loosely, and and take what I say when I say this at face value. But you guys are a band of survivors in many respects. So do you think fate has played a big part in your role or do you think it's just been just, you know, luck? Um, I I don't know how to really believe in fate. It's one of those convenient things, isn't it, that people kind of shoehorn into the into the plans. Uh, it, mm. it's, it's luck and constitution and genetics and, and stubbornness. I, you know, it's a lot mm. of the things. The wild arts are still here, not because we're riding a wave from some years ago or getting by on the royalties for the big hit song that we had. We're here because we we refuse to fuck off. And I think it's, you know, after a while, people just get, you know, worn down by it and go, okay, then listen, let me listen to your band. And then listen to us and go, oh, I actually quite like this. So I think it's in the case of a lot of bands as well, because I remember when Motorhead, when their fortunes were down in mm. the 90s, I remember Motorhead yeah. playing tiny little places. I remember them playing small places, headlining, co-headlining was Saxon, um, and the and the small places not being sold out. And it just being a case of, yeah, but they're they're still gonna be here. They're not gonna go away. They're not gonna they're not gonna be shut down because the audience has dropped a little bit. That's not what Motorhead do. They're pirates. They get on that ship and they go and loot and pillage. Um and that's that's kind of the way we've always thought about things. It, you know, giving up and going away has never really been an option. Mm. For periods where we haven't released records, um, but we still played live. We still, you know, still like making the racket. Mm. So I, I, don't, I don't know what it is that's kept us going, but it's you know we we it looks like we we can't be killed now. I mean, Christ Almighty, now it is just like, we, you know, we get backstage and it is like a bunch of pirates, you know. That guy's got a bloody false leg. That guy's got a, in some other contraption. That guy's got mental health issues. That guy, it's like, it is like a, a bunch of modern-day fucking pirates. 
that that really you know we do find humor in our our band as well the fact that we're it's so ridiculous that we're still here and one of my favorite pictures is a picture of me being i got a virus um not the covid thing but a, a, a virus a few years ago and there's a picture of me on stage being sick into a bin while danny's sitting on a chair with one leg looking all concerned and i'm like that could only be the wild arts the singer's being sick in a bin while the one-legged bass player looks on in concern you know that's you're not going to get that with with a lot of bands thank god but but it's it, you know the wild arts has always been it's 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 honest and it's it's real it's ugly and it's honest and it's real what were the lessons you learned then in the choir boys that you carried with you all the way through your career don't playing the choir boys. <laughs> that was the main one. Um, well, the choir boys always wanted me to change my sound. I always wanted to have a, a, a more of a, a raging guitar sound, and they wanted me to have a, a, a faces sound. And I, mm-hmm. and I couldn't understand why they wanted a sound, you know, like like punk never happened, or like, you know, motorhead never yeah. happened. Um, and so my the one thing I learned is don't change your sound, don't change what you do for someone else. If someone else doesn't like it, that's you know just agree to go your separate ways. But you don't do anything wrong just because it you know it doesn't it it doesn't fit into to certain circumstances. Um, I think that's about all I learned. You know, don't play rhythm guitar in someone else's band. See, that was always my dream gig was play rhythm mm. guitar in a band, and I did it a few times. I did it with Michael Monroe. I did it with Courtney, and it it was unfulfilling. Well, obviously, not surprisingly, because I've got a much bigger, more involving job with the Wild Hearts, um, and I got used to doing a lot of stuff. So, taking it, having an easy gig has never really been for me. I think that's one of the things that I, sh- I should have learned. Um, but yeah, the main thing I learned from the Quiet Boys is don't change your style for anyone. Mm. When, when you say Courtney, is that Courtney Love? Yeah. Where? When was that? Um, a few years ago, four, four, five years ago. Uh, was this when was she was that, trying to get her solo career back up off the ground again? In, in the Courtney Love band or in Hull? No, no, in the Courtney Love band. Um, mm. She was. She she toured Australia. We did a, a nice big tour of Australia. That was amazing. Um, mm. I, I was just up. up I was I played with her everywhere. It was it was great, but again it was like easy. And sometimes you're on stage just going like, "I'm uh, I shouldn't be getting paid for this, or I should be getting paid t- double for singing and bloody playing guitar and writing the songs triple." Um, but yeah, it's, it, I, it was it was an easy gig that would have been really, you know, perfect for someone else, but it was just too easy for me. I, I had nothing to do for the most of the day. Is she misunderstood, do you think? Yeah, yeah, she is. She is. And um, that's just yeah, that's just the way people are. People will think the worst of people because it uh, makes better copy. Um, it, you know, she's, she's very, very generous. Um, she's, uh, you know, we, we, we had a really nice, especially live, we had a really nice bond. We had a really nice chemistry. Um, just one of the artists uh, I say that it was you know it was one of those gigs where it wasn't really my gig because it was so easy but if she did get in touch tomorrow and ask me to go on tour with her I definitely mm. would you know and she yeah. she does everything in style <clears throat> she's one of these people where she 
she smells expensive, you know. She she drinks like the best tequila backstage. What she did when she was drinking, and you stay mm. in great hotels. And this 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 experience, much like the camp for anything, where it's not my world. So I, I find it fascinating. It's mm. like whoa, this is where famous rich people stay. Wow. And it's it's nice it's nice to eat well and and travel well and stuff. It's 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 the sort of thing that you wouldn't mind doing again, but it's not something that I'm I, I hunger for or crave in any way. Did you have did you have many of those two AM conversations and philosophize about life with her? Because I imagine she'd be a fascinating person in that respect. No, no, I don't think she was really all that happy when when we were going. She was she was you know going through her own. Um, set of of demons as as was I, mm. um, and and now when I see her on online and she's talking about you know she's really happy and she's really got herself together she's you know she's you know, fulfilled as a person. Um, I think it would be a, it, it would be a different thing if we if I could tour with her now. I think we're both very very much different people than we were back then. It was a, mm. it was a strange time. It was an odd odd time. I didn't really have anything like a solo career and the wild arts weren't really a concern anymore. So it was just, it was one of those things where it filled, it filled a gap nicely. How, how did the connection come about with her? Was it through management or something else? No, it was through her, her drummer, Scott Lips, who mm-hmm. is, um, who has a, a, a huge model agency in America. And I met Scott Lips in uh, the Varvados store in New York, which is on the, the grounds of CB, C, the old CBGBs. Mm-hmm. And I was in the Varvados store and I knew one of the guys from the store and he said, do you like Cheap Trick? And I'm like, yeah. He says, do you want to play bass for Cheap Trick in about 10 minutes? And I'm like, you are. And, um, and he said, yeah, yeah, Robin Zander and Rick Nielsen's coming down to the store we need someone to play bass. I'm like, yeah. I, not only that, I know all the songs, so it should be all. And um, and it was obviously I did an okay job because Scott um Scott Lips came up to me afterwards and he said, Hey, you know, my name's Scott, here's my card. I just figured it's some some seemed like a nice guy. Mm. Um looked him up when I got back home, and yeah, yeah, he had a, every single famous model in the world was on this guy's roster. Um so he's a big, a big player in a world that I'm not even aware of. Um, and so when Courtney needed, he was playing drums with Courtney, and when Courtney needed a second guitar player, he said, well, before we hold auditions, can we get Ginger over? And she was like, yeah, okay. And they, they, thankfully, they never did audition anyone else because I got the job straight away. It was mm-hmm. one, of those, one of those things where, again, we got fans or we got supporters all over the world. There's just not billions of them, but they're in, they're in all sorts of walks of life. And... You know, it can be, you know, someone who's involved in immigration just helps you get your papers because they're a supporter of the group or someone who designs trousers in Japan, you know, whatever it is. it's uh, They're an interesting bunch and they're spread out all over the place. And they even play drums in Courtney Love's band. There you go, yeah. Well, there's another, I guess you, you have to call her a mogul at this point, but uh, you certainly had some interactions with Sharon Osbourne back in the day, didn't you? Yeah, well, she was managing the choir boys. Yeah. Uh, she was, it was her office I was called into. We went to Los Angeles for the first time um, and it, it, 
I was a young boy in Los Angeles. What are you going to do? You know what I mean? I says, I, 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 I was like, yep, I'm here to have a good time. And I probably had too much of a good time because uh, I was taken to her offices in London when we got back home and, and, and fired. And she was, she was kind of instrumental in, in being, getting me to the office. But I don't think she knew that I was going to be fired outright. I think the band just didn't want me in. With good reason, I wouldn't have wanted me in. Um, but I think she she had much she dealt with much worse than me. I think she was surprised when they just went. Well, there's other ways we can do this, and I think maybe she saw my worth more than the band did, and so she kept in touch. And when I did the Camp Freddy thing, she was there obviously because Ozzy was on the bill, and mm. she was you know, she's dead nice. She comes straight over, showing me pictures of of Kelly tap dancing with your little. Little, just a little at the time, and yeah. uh, it just one of it just a genuine person who wasn't affected, but isn't affected by anyone's fame or or probably lack of fame. She probably just sees what she sees in them, and uh, and and it's not affected by what other people are thinking. Um, and she, I've always found her really, really honest, really genuine, and she remembers who I am, and she doesn't need to. Mm. Um, so she's a she's a good egg, Sharon. She's a good egg. That might be in six hundred interviews the most positive Sharon Osborne story I've ever heard. I've got to be honest with you. you know, I've heard some doozies that I haven't even been able to put to air. Um, I, it, what it seems to me like if she takes a shine to you, you're good and you're pretty much good for your life. But if something happens in the first interaction with you with with her and whoever it might be, if you get off on the wrong foot, you can never get back on the right foot again. That's just yeah, my perception. I I definitely wouldn't want to fall out with uh, with Sharon Osbourne, um, but you'd have to be a fool to fall out with someone like that anyway. You know why yeah. are you going to fall out with someone you know is a badass and will will fight like a lioness? You know, fall out with someone. I'm tired of the industry. Yeah, I mean, Ozzy owes her life, his life. Mm, absolutely, a few times over as well. Mm. And it, you know, it's it's that it's that honesty that she that she has, pathological honesty that uh, I've always liked. And I've and I, when my my missus, my ex missus, who's now my um, my business partner, and she runs run records with me, mm-hmm. and I used to just describe Sharon Osborne and just say, "Look, this is um, this is going to work because we're a family. Because you're not going to rip me off. Because you need the money to feed our child. So it's it's an, an ideal kind of scenario. Um, so chances are I wouldn't even have my label if it wasn't for Sharon and, and the Osbournes. Not, mm. not sure, but the the family. Yep. And, sure. and that her her reason for doing this was a very very primal, very you know very uh, it was a a, a a dominant woman protecting her family, and that's and that's how. That's how my thing worked out. Um, and uh, yeah, God bless her for that. And I, so the first time I ever met Ozzy was, I was with the choir boys in LA and he came up and he was he was saying, what are you drinking? And I was saying, vodka and orange. He was like, that stuff will kill you. And I, I was just, I had no concept of sobriety at the time. And I'd be mm. like, Ozzy Osbourne is telling me that alcohol is going to kill me. I'm like, Ozzy, I'm lucky there's some alcohol left after you fucking went for it. You know, it's uh, but then again, that's that's the thing in in LA. You get a lot of people. I won't name names, obviously. Obviously, aside. Yeah. What's going on? Sorry, in the US. There we go. Yeah. 
A lot of people have told me, oh, that's not how you do it. You should do it like this and you should do it like that. And that's the dark side. For me, that's the dark side of rock and roll, not um, not alcohol and drugs. That's not the dark side. The dark side is when people get sober and try and palm it off on you. That's the... That's oh, yeah. I totally agree with that one there. Yeah, I totally agree with that. But you look, I mentioned, you know, I sort of went there earlier and I talked about you, you guys being, well, you specifically, let's talk about you here, you know, being a, being a survivor in that respect but you did go through hell and uh you've come out the other side of it and um w- was there a strategy that you put in place or did, was it just as simple as you woke up one day and just said i'm not doing this anymore no well i'm still doing it I'm, i didn't get sober or anything um i have been through a lot of testing times i think mm. a lot of people have to go through testing times and i like to say it um, the safest place for a boat is um, is tied up on the shore, tied up on the on the on the jetty. But that's not what boats are made for, you know. Boats yeah. are made to mm. get out there and get on them choppy waters and be bashed around a bit. And I think people are the same. Again, as as a writer, it served me really well because adversity's got loads of songs in it. Whereas you know, happiness is its own reward, and you don't tend to want to go and sit down and pour your your feelings out over a guitar when the sun's out and you're having a great time. Mm. So it's um, sitting in the house under a black cloud because things are being tough is where a lot of the great songs, definitely my favourite songs have come from. And I, I, I have my old friend, the blues tattooed, um, Steve Earle. Nice. And I mean, that, yeah. that, that song didn't come from a, from a happy place. That was a guy no. who, who knows, who understands um, being, being down, being in the, the dark side of life. And, uh, and, and he wrote about it. Instead of moaning about it, he wrote a song about it. So I, th- I think, yeah, the adversity has always been there with me, but then I've got over 500 songs, so I can't really complain. I'm still here, white knuckling my way through every day just to get to bedtime. And that's all my, my um, advice that I ever give anyone who's suffering from anything, mm. you know, mental health problems or, or just personal traumas, just make it to bedtime. Whatever time bedtime falls on you know even it's three in the afternoon just get to bedtime and then you've cracked it you've you've succeeded again yeah um, yeah so, so being a songwriter is uh, especially with the ex- experiences in mental health problems i've found a great way of dealing with things and mm. it's not even like it just helps me some of the songs go out and someone else tells me that it helped them at which point it's bigger than music it's almost being of service and that's there's nothing more important than that you know I, th- I think if it was just about making money and being famous my ego would be t- telling me like oh yeah you're getting old you need a facelift or something like that but my, my my thing is purely musical and i'm so so very thankful of that have you got any regrets not really not really the stupid things that i've said and done that that you know, just that's just the the, the price of an education, but not regrets mm. because it's all it's. I'm talking to you, you know. It's you know doing a load of promo for a new album that everyone's saying they like. Um, going on tour in uh, two days' time at a time where no one's going on tour. Mm. Um, I'm 56. I'm fit as fuck. I uh, 
I've got a lovely dog and I get to do this for a living. I get to make music, write songs, create things, make art for a living. Whereas a lot of my friends, even the ones with good jobs, are, are finding it hard to make ends meet now. And, mm. and music's always been like that for me. It's always helped me mentally. It's always been a great support emotionally. It's And it's always paid the bills. I don't know why. I don't know how I'm a lucky motherfucker. But I, uh, I, amazing. It's amazing. Oh, my fucking thing is just about to go off here. Yeah. I've got a computer that doesn't work, but it doesn't tell me it's not going to work until it's just about to go off. Oh, there we are. Oh, um, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I've got, I'm a really lucky person that uh, it keeps on being very evident how lucky I am. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just a grateful motherfucker. You don't look a day over, I reckon, 46, 47. So you're literally, you look 10 years younger than what you are. Yeah, which, is, which is easy to do when you look as bad as I did when I was young. <laughs> I, was always a, <laughs> I was always a bloated drunk. So I, I, I get to sign old pictures of myself and go like, fucking hell, I definitely look better now than I did then. But that wasn't hard because I looked terrible then. Uh, you know, again, good genes uh, and having a good... Um, healthy competitive setup with another guitar player who's skinny and uh, and keeps himself in shape so you've got to you've got to work hard I, you know I don't want to be the lazy guy next to him mm. so it's um, you know and I've got three kids so they you know that's that's a run around for you man I'm still fit as fuck so I can still exercise I can still get out yeah. there and walk for three hours with the dog and which is exactly what I'm going to do when I finish all of these and it's great. It's great. I'm, I'm very, very lucky. Still got all my bits and they all still work. You, you don't seem burdened by the world. You, you strike me as a bit of a, like, you know, not, I wouldn't say free spirit. I think it's too cliched to say that, but you just don't seem like as though you're burdened by, by life. And I think that's the biggest issue when you meet people is that they just seem, no matter how much you remind them, they've got a roof over their head, clean water coming out of the tap, food that they can pretty much access at any time of the day. Depends on the varying quality of it, of course. But would, if someone was to ask you what the secret to your life has been, do you think you'd have an answer? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, you know, some days are better than others. Sometimes you want to kill someone and sometimes you want to tell them all that, you know, the human race is not that bad. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, Contradictory experience, the human, um, the human experience. Uh, you know, I'm, I, and, I, and I do consider myself just a reporter on on the human condition, purely from my own, you know, personal perspective. Um, but when you write stuff that that that, like I say, um, it speaks to someone else, or or someone else picks up on 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 a similar thing that they're going through as well. That's when you realise that this music. You know, I might have problems with society and civilization in, as a whole, but um, but music, I still is I still think of as a as a as a romantic, medicinal, spiritual thing. I I'm not just not just making it, but uh, listening to it. I'm I'm a mm. huge music fanatic. Definitely would not be here without it. Um, and uh, and and there's still plenty of us around. So it looks like I'm going to be okay for a job for a for a little while longer. 
Do you think you've got it? If you were asked to name a career highlight, do you think you'd have an answer for that question? No. Yeah, no. You're still getting to do it. Uh, still getting to make records that take people by surprise. That's, you know, having a, uh, an imagination at, at, after this, not at this age, but after doing this many records, and I've got like 500 mm. plus songs available that commercially. And still getting to be inspired and excited by some new songs and a new album and a new tour and stuff like that. That's the career highlight. Um, there's, there's been a lot of career lowlights that, that I don't like to really, you know, concentrate on at all. Mm. But still, still being inspired and, and seeing a lot of people that that I respect, like songwriters, kind of running out of material. And still getting, you know, still having no shortage of new ideas. That's that's always a highlight. Every new album that I write is a highlight because it's it's mm. still going. It's dreams still alive, um, and it's you know poverty hasn't killed me, um, hasn't dampened my spirits. A drug addiction, alcohol addiction, you know, a, a, emotional upsets and upheavals and stuff. None of them have dampened my spirits. So. You know, it's obviously it's a it's a good thing <laughs> that I'm still excited. I've got a lot of friends who are just cynical through and through because you know yeah. the world's thrown around a bit. I'm that boat who likes being out on the choppy waters. You know, I, you know makes mm. it makes good for good sailors. Ship water, and uh, yeah, I I like to think that I'm still you know navigating myself through the choppy waters of adversity and fucking. Sniffing the shits other people are, are skittish. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just, you know, it's not even like I'm a, I'm a happy spirit all the time. I just, I'm very resilient. You know, yeah, I won't, definitely. I won't go down. I won't go down. Do you, uh, do you believe in past lives and reincarnation? I don't know. I don't know. No. In, you know, in theory, no. Because I, I think we're energy, and I don't think it it works like you know our life and our case and and this this whatever this is uh, is mm. that important you know? But I think our energy and our essence is really important. So I do believe that we don't die, we don't we don't end. You know, energy doesn't end, does it? it goes it does something else. No. And I do believe exactly. that there is there is a, a much bigger thing. It's just not people walking around on clouds and tunnels where you meet your family. At, uh, you know, on, when you die, and yeah. I don't believe any of that shit. No, um, no, yeah. But I do believe that there is something like a design, and it's more to do with, you know, aliens and UFOs and all that sort of stuff, and dimensions, different dimensions. Um, mm. And the fact that there's some things that have been going for so very, very long, we can't even grasp the concept. We haven't even been here a million years, and there was 250 million years of dinosaurs, and God yeah. knows what before that. So all of these mm -hmm. Darwin theories that we kind of just shoehorn in for convenience that just don't fit and don't work on any really on any level. There's something else akin to a design. Ergo, they would appear to be a designer. So it makes sense to me that mm -hmm. whatever this is, whatever this concept, this whole UFO thing is, they've been here forever, and that's the that's the story. In which case, yeah, there you know there, there are a lot more things about this 
um, than uh, than we than we know or understand or can understand. It's probably even a you know which is a three dimensional species. They're probably four or five fifth dimensional, and we don't even we can't mm. even see it. Yeah, so I think yeah, it's, totally. it's a big. But you know, as far as reincarnation, I'm not I'm not so sure that it's even important that we're reincarnated. I don't think human beings are that important, to be honest. No, I'm with you on that. Yeah, no, I think we over we overestimate our um, our place in the universe. We overstate it. Sorry, is a better way to describe it. Mm, yeah, and if we are going to come back, I hope I come back as a dog. Yeah, in a nice household like your household, though. I'd come back yeah. as a dog in your household, but there you go. You know, oh, I'd, I'd definitely come back as my dog. She's she's very happy. Hey, look, I'll make this my final question for you, but it's a big one. Okay. Zealot in Wonderland uh, by Gary Davidson. I haven't read it yet. I didn't even know it was out there until yesterday, actually, when I was doing some research for our conversation. But I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it's a snapshot into the life of the band, the focus on yourself. And but but I'm curious. I mean, God, you've you've lived it all. You've you've you're still going. You've got all of this energy. So, mate, when's the autobiography coming out? Um, I've tried to write autobiographies three times now and every time something ridiculous has gone wrong like the computer's lost the files and they can't be retrieved or the hard drive's gone down can't be fixed i think it's telling me that my autobiography should be written at the end rather rather Mm. than halfway through because i'm far from the end and i don't show any signs of slowing down i think i need to get a few more stories in there before before i write it um you know, and I'm get a, a ghostwriter. Yeah, get a ghostwriter. So as all you're doing is just talking to somebody and they're doing it all for you. Because it's still your words, Ben. They just piece it together for you. Yeah, but there's there's also a lot to be said, right? When you see someone, I I like, I read, I'm a crazy reader, I, I, and I especially read autobiographies. And, 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 and ones with ghostwriters are very different. Even the Lemmy one is very different than someone writing it down. And you can read their personality in the words. So I think if I was going to do an autobiography, I'd want to write it. Um, just to paint with the words, to paint with the language, mm. um, because it would it would be a form of a form of art. I, I wouldn't want to do it as just a report or a, an interview. I'd want to do it as a as a as the only autobiography you're ever going to write. So yeah, yeah. I think I'll, part of it would be that I want to go away somewhere. To a kibbutz for two years and write it myself. Mm. That would be the that would be the draw, I think. When eventually it happens, I can't wait to, wait to read it, and I sincerely hope you get that book done. Um, I mean, the lessons that you'd have in there—not because you're preaching, just your life story and the negotiating the various obstacles that you've overcome, and just fucking playing killer rock and roll like you've done too. Because most people dream, as you know, but you've actually done it. And people love reading that. Mm, me too. I, I love reading that. Um, and mm. I'd, and, I'd, and I, I, I really do love reading a great, you know, rip-snorting, spit-and-sawdust tale of, you know, adversity um, and, uh, you know, traversing the, uh, the, the ups and downs. And at the end, it's a happy ending because the guy is still alive. So I, I, I'm a big fan yeah. of books like that. Um, and um, you know, there's there's too many books. There's certainly too many bloody rock and roll books where it ends up the last chapter is about rehab, and and yeah. AA. And I mean, that's that's to me, that's not a story. You know, 
it's uh so yeah there's not going to be that embarrassing thing about you know and then i found god and then yeah when it eventually happens they're all like that i've, I've read so many any biography even steve jones's biographies like that it's, it's amazing take this pirate story and then this fucking shit final chapter about finding the program and I, yeah I'm, I'm sure that's that's really important to you, but as a spectator sport, it's a bit like, you know, a chapter on wanking. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> everyone wants to know about the sexual conquest, but not about your own personal relationship with your todger. And uh, I, I find that's what sobriety is. It's their own personal relationship with their demons. I mean, there's nothing really entertaining in that. Yeah, yeah. I've got to say, I've, I've been let down too many times. I've read just about every musician's autobiography whether they've written it themselves or they've got a ghostwriter in i've read just about everyone out there and there's there's only in terms of rock and metal there's only about 30 or 40 out there um but yeah i've been disappointed too many times to count from the perspective that i want to know the stories just just give it to us real like the yeah, success yeah. the failure just tell us what the hell happened and you know i think that the pantera guys went a bit too close to the edge you know uh, rex brown's book was a bit too sort of out there not that it wasn't an entertaining read and i didn't enjoy it but he's since backtracked and start try, mm-hmm. started trying to throw poor old Mark Eglinton under the bus, who was his ghostwriter, trying to imply that Mark and Mark or the management company or whatever else had been overly officious in trying to get him to share some of these stories about Vinnie Paul and this stuff. But I just think, mate, if you said it, it's out there. Just stand behind it. It is what it is. Nobody's judging you, really. Yeah, own it. It's just a, it's a good story. Uh, people aren't really thinking about you. But if, they, if, they, if you give them a good story to read, then that's good enough. Mm. You know. And the rest of it just uh, accept it, own it. It happened to you. You know, big deal. More Mate, honest been... Okay, before you go, give me your um, a, the, an autobiography that springs to mind that I should read. Stephen Pearcey from Rat. Yeah, I read that one. That was another one where he ends up in the bloody program at the end. I know. I know. I was going to say. I was going to. I was going to give you a caveat there that it does. The, um, in terms of, uh, I didn't, I'm tempted to say Keith Richards's, but I didn't like it because I had way too much of his childhood in there and who cares? You know, it was it was like reading a, a toothbrushing session or something. It was ridiculous, yeah. the first third of that book. Um, yeah. To be honest, mate, there, there isn't one. I didn't like David Vincent from Morbid Angel's book either because it was all about him being a bit of a hero. Um, I, mate, it's, it's tough because... Yeah, there just there just hasn't been one. I think I don't even like Australian rules football. I'm a rugby union and rugby league fan. And, and there's a guy called, okay, here's one for you. It's not a music one, but it's a good story about a bloke who, you talk about confronting demons, Ben Cousins. Name is down. Yeah. Ben Cousins. So I'll just make, sure, make, just make sure I get the spelling of it for you, right? Uh, C-O-U-S. Yeah, cousins is in you're my cousins. C O U S I N S. And he is a what? He's an Australian rules footballer. Yep, but he's had a he's had a horrendous ice addiction, which is I'd be called. Do you call it ice in the UK, or do you call it methamphetamine? Well, we yeah. don't get it in the UK. I know they call it ice and shard over there. Uh, yeah, they call it ice in the states. I've I've been addicted to it as well, mm. but in the states. And in Philippines. Yes, um, Shabu. Yeah. My wife's half Filipino, so Shabu, yeah. 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 But but that book, that book there, he's an elite athlete, one of the most gifted athletes that this country's ever produced, yet he's had this, 
horrendous addiction that he still hasn't overcome to this day. I think oh, I'm right oh. in saying that. And but he doesn't. It's not a. It's not a sad story either. He just tells you what goes on. He doesn't apologize for any of it. He just says, "This is what I did." The thing about him, mate, is that he's only doing it to himself. He hasn't raped anybody. He hasn't been a fuckwit to anybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like all, all from all reports, he's a pretty decent fella. But yeah. he's got this thing going on. And the book, honestly, as I say, I don't even like the sport that much. But I read it, and I was like, I think I read it in like two days or something like that. And, and I hope that if you know, I think Kindle Unlimited or whatever should have it. But um, that's highly, highly recommended. That one. Oh no, I'm 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 getting that today. I'm getting that today. Um, okay, I'll 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 raise you that and um and offer you uh yes. Al Jurgensen. Oh, I did read that one. Yeah, that's but that's tremendous. I love Al. I've spoken to him a couple of times, and he's just a a lovely fella. I think Al, oh, you, you know, misunderstood. One, I have. Yeah. Have you got? What's your second one? <laughs> uh, okay, the second one then. Um, uh, Tez Roberts from Discharge. Um, and after the gig, it's called. Okay, I haven't read that one. I'm going to download that tonight. There you go. Yeah, that's a great one. And it, it and he he played with Ministry, and he was with Al when that when he set the bus on fire. So Holy it's, shit. It, it's intertwined, but it's that's a great book. That's a, that's another really good page turner. I can't wait. I'm going to read that one tonight because I've, I mean, I've been struggling with books. I love horror. I've been reading a lot of Ramsey Campbell stuff again, just books I've already read again. Oh, I've read, but, yeah. you know, Clive, Clive Barker and stuff. But, you know, I love all that stuff too. Brilliant. So, Brilliant. Really good. You know, but. Uh, Mate, thank you very much. This has been a great, great one. It's been lovely to talk to you. Likewise, mate. It's I'm so thrilled that I get these opportunities to have these chats. And, mate, you have, uh, you've definitely been an absolute highlight, a gentleman. And I thank you so much for for uh, humoring me in my questions and going there and uh, just thank you for being you mate you know and, and the, uh, my final point will be is guess what ginger you will make my book because i write books on my podcast series too so you're going to be in it <laughs> as long as i'm there i don't mind what if it's good or bad as long as i'm in no you'll be under the good entries don't worry very rare are the bad entries but um no mate you're going to be under under a very good one don't worry about that i'll send it to you i'll actually i'll hit chris up and i'll send it to you once it's out there Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Pleasure. All right. All the best with everything. Thanks so much again. See ya. Cheers. Well, there you have it. My conversation with the one and only Ginger Wildheart. If you like what you just heard, go across to scarsandguitars.com where there are many more conversations hosted just like that one from the world of the leading lights from the world of hard rock, heavy metal, punk rock, alternative rock, whatever, and beyond. You'll also see some reviews, some blog entries. I've got a fairly long piece about Metallica you might like to read about their uh, their era from 1995 to 2003. Plenty of other odds and sods and goodies if you're a fan of the music I've already mentioned. So my name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. It's goodbye for now.